For decades, the radical left has been using fake climate science to scare Americans into backing their freedom-destroying agenda. Policies like California's law requiring net zero carbon emissions by 2045 and Minnesota's new carbon-free 2040 law have nothing to do with saving the planet. They have everything to do with growing the power of government while undermining free enterprise and individual liberty. Today, I do a deep dive into the most massive long-term misinformation campaign in history. Then, in our Behind the Headlines segment, could Biden's blank check unconditional support for Ukraine with no endgame strategy hinder our ability to deter war with communist China? The answer is yes. Plus, James O'Keefe is apparently out at Project Veritas, and Don Lemon is sent to sensitivity training. I'm Doug Wardlow, and this is Founding Principles. It is time to go on offense. This is Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow. The planet is dying. The oceans are rising and the deserts are spreading. We only have five years until Earth is completely unlivable. The end is near. What are we going to do? The left has been pushing this alarmist nonsense for years. Back in 1988, Ted Danson, the accomplished scientist that he is, told us that the oceans were going to be dead in 10 years, destroying all the rest of life on the entire Earth. Then, in 2006, the man who invented the Internet, Al Gore, ran around telling everyone we had only 10 years to save the planet from a scorching death. Rush Limbaugh famously started the Doomsday Clock in January of that year. Of course, it ran out and nothing happened. There are many more examples. But the same thing always happens. The left's climate predictions never come true. They tell us that if we don't act now to stop global warming or climate change or whatever they're calling it, then we will all suffer and die in an upcoming horrible and apocalyptic global catastrophe. Of course, dear leader Biden is no different. Listen to him on July 20th of 2022. As president, I have a responsibility to act with urgency and resolve when our nation faces clear and present danger. And that's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. The health of our citizens and our communities is literally at stake. The UN's leading international climate scientists call the latest climate report nothing less than, quote, code red for humanity. Let me say it again, code red for humanity. It's not a group of political officials, elected officials. These are the scientists. We must act with urgency and resolve because our nation faces a clear and present danger. The health of our citizens is literally at stake. A code red for humanity. Has the Black Plague returned, destroying a third of Europe once again? Or maybe the Russians are about to hit us with nuclear missiles. The alarmist talk from leftist leaders never ends. And it always leads to extremist environmental policy initiatives. When Biden became president, he immediately created a national climate task force to deal with the existential threat posed by climate change. But in the same breath, he tied climate change to economic growth and jobs. Maybe the threat isn't as dire as he'd have us believe. Well, that task force, made up of more than 25 cabinet-level leaders from across agencies, helped come up with some supposedly groundbreaking goals. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions 50% by 2030, 100% carbon pollution-free electricity by 2035, net zero carbon emissions from the entire economy, the entire economy, by 2050, and of course, delivering 40% of the supposed benefits from so-called climate investments to disadvantaged communities. Hmm. There's a lot that would need to happen for those goals to even be approached, and none of it would help the economy or create jobs. In fact, none of it would really help the environment either. Naturally, far-left politicians across America took the ball and ran with it. Minnesota Governor Tim Walz and his radical Democrat pals in the Minnesota legislature, for example, recently passed a new law that requires the entire state of Minnesota to generate all of its electricity from carbon-free sources by 2040. Walls said that, quote, 
Climate change impacts lives and livelihoods in every corner of our state. Lieutenant Governor followed by saying that climate change threatens many of the things that we love most about our state. More alarmist talk. The United Nations has been hard at work as well. Since 1988, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has put out six assessment reports, each a large series of reports on the climate. Report number six is coming out as we speak, finishing up in early 2023. They all basically say the same thing. Human greenhouse gas emissions are going to destroy the planet. So why is the left doing this? Do they really believe that climate change is going to destroy the Earth? Well, maybe some of them do, but there is more to it than simple worry for the planet. They want control, plain and simple. What better way to control people than to scare them into thinking that the Earth is about to be destroyed by scorching heat and swelling oceans? Then, once everyone buys in, the leftist climate alarmists run around and talk about how they are the, they are the only ones who can save the masses from certain disaster and death. And once the masses get behind the leftists on climate, well, they'll willingly follow along on nearly everything else. Because the leftists are the ones who are saving the planet. Hooray! It's a slippery slope down into socialism and communism. Of course, the entire premise of man-made climate change is nonsense, as we will show. First of all, God made our world, and he did so for the express purpose of having humans live in it. The earth can handle the effects of human life, all of which God foresaw. But the left doesn't really believe in God. They worship the religion of leftism, government, and control. And that religion relies heavily on man-made climate change to bring people under its sway. You could argue that climate change serves as a sort of base for just about all of modern leftism in general. It is their most dramatic and frightening scare tactic. And therefore, it's their most important tool when it comes to luring potential followers. But for the scare to be effective, the left needs the scientific community behind it. I'm sure you've heard of the scientific consensus supporting the theory of man-made climate change. They would have you believe that every single climate-related scientist is on board. But it is all smoke and mirrors, a fabrication constructed by the left. In 2009 and again in 2011, thousands of emails between scientists and others involved in the man-made climate change force consensus found their way into the public domain. It was known as ClimateGate, and it rocked the climate debate to its core. Phil Jones, a lead scientist then working with the UN panel on climate change, wrote, quote, I've discussed this with the main funder, the U.S. Department of Energy, in the past, and they are happy about not releasing the original station data, close quote. He also sent a disturbing email to Michael Mann, a professor at Penn State, who was influential in pushing climate change to the left. He mentioned the, quote, trick of adding in the real temps to each series to hide the decline in temperature, close quote. More on that later. Another lead scientist, Peter Thorne, said, quote, the science is being manipulated to put a political spin on it. He also noted that a telltale signature of greenhouse gas warming simply wasn't there. Professor Jagadish Shukla, a lead author of the UN Climate Change Panel, wrote, quote, it is inconceivable that policymakers will be willing to make billion and trillion dollar decisions for adaptation to the projected regional climate change based on models that do not even describe and simulate the processes that are the building blocks of climate variability. What? So their advanced models are missing foundational pieces? Well, I'm sold. Let's base everything on those, please. In all, there are over 6,000 emails. The emails in general show scientists concealing data that doesn't support man-made global warming, scientists treating climate change as a political cause, and scientists freely admitting to one another that much of the science is weak and depends on manipulating data. Some scientists even talked about how they hope no one knows that Britain has a law like the Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA, and how much damage the use of that law could do to the cause of climate change. So much for consensus based on real science. In truth, our climate is perfectly able to change on its own and has done so repeatedly over the course of time. Many of the same scientists that scare people with theories of man-made climate change take this for gospel as well. Biden's own climate.gov website links to a Smithsonian Institute project estimating the average global temperature over the last 500 million years. Just look at those wild variations. 
These same scientists will also tell you that the first humans appeared between 2.4 and 1.4 million years ago, well after most of the variation. Their own theories show that Earth is fully capable of huge temperature variations without human intervention. Well, that's, that's too general and too long ago for some. So what about more recently? Well, for something more recent, consider the Little Ice Age, beginning around 1300 AD, so not really that much more recent, but much more recent than millions of years ago, the average global temperature began to drop, and by the mid-1500s, the drop intensified to about 2 degrees Celsius, or just under 4 degrees Fahrenheit. There's actually scientific consensus about this from ice core and triggering data, actual consensus. This is supported by a multitude of written accounts from the actual period. The worst period of cooling has a name, the Maunder Minimum, and it lasted from about 1645 to 1715. Most attribute the cooling to a decrease in sunspot activity and solar radiation. In fact, scientists believe one 30-year period during the Maunder Minimum only had about 50 sunspots. There are 40 to 50,000 sunspots during a normal period in modern times. The effects of the cooling were very significant. Agricultural output fell off a cliff, and there was widespread disease and death. Speaking of the sun, there was another period where the sun appears to have directly altered our climate. The Dalton minimum from about 1790 to 1830 was another time of very low sunspot activity. Temperatures declined by about 2 degrees during that period, and 1860 was, 1816 was noted by many at the time as the year without summer. There was also the medieval warm period, another actual consensus, which, ha which happened about a thousand years ago. You see, the sun actually has what scientists say is an 11-year cycle. During the minimums of these cycles, sunspots and solar flare activity decreases and sometimes stops for a time. These larger cycles may well be part of a larger cycle. Obviously, humanity has no control over forces such as these. What about volcanic activity? In December of 2021 and lasting into January, Mount Tonga, an underwater volcano near Fiji and New Zealand, erupted. NASA studied the eruption and determined its aftermath actually reached space, but its more profound effect just might have been on the climate debate. A team of Chinese scientists from China's Academy of Sciences was monitoring greenhouse gas concentrations before and after that eruption in the Southern Hemisphere. They determined that the CO2 concentrations went up by two parts per million just from that one eruption alone. That's an entire year's worth of global CO2 production from one volcanic eruption. And that does not jive with what leftist climate change activists have been saying for years, namely that humans put 40 to 100 times the amount of CO2 into the atmosphere as volcanic eruptions. It's simply not true. No matter what the actual numbers show, we, know, we now know that volcanic eruptions significantly impact the amount of greenhouse gas in the air, and human beings have nothing to do with that. Earth actually has a carbon cycle of sorts. Scientists recently tried to quantify it. In 2019, they determined that only two-tenths of a percent of Earth's carbon was above the surface. The rest is in the Earth's crust, mantle, and core. They said that, quote, CO2 is outgassed to the atmosphere and oceans today from volcanoes and other magmatically active regions. They go on saying that Earth's deep carbon cycle through deep time reveals balanced, long-term stability of atmospheric CO2 punctuated by large disturbances, when massively huge amounts of carbon were naturally outgassed at once, resulting in a catastrophe of a few times, catastrophe of a few times over the last 500 million years. So that's two now, the sun and carbon. Two natural massive scale cycles happening all around us that impact the climate significantly. The left wants us to believe that man-made CO2 is the only thing warming the climate and will destroy the earth all by itself. They have a right to believe their theory, but there is one big problem. Their theory is completely false. Recently, in 2021, a large peer-reviewed study produced by about 20 scientists from around the world concluded that one of those massive systems, the sun, controls virtually our entire climate. The study used 16 different estimates of total solar irradiance which is how much energy we get from the sun, and compared that with 25 estimates of northern hemisphere temperature going back to the 1800s. 
That study sharply disagrees with the, finding of the findings of the UN panel that my, mankind's CO2 emissions are to blame for climate change. In an interview with Epoch Times, they called the UN panel findings premature and said that the UN work is based on narrow and incomplete data about the sun's total irradiance. When they used data from NASA's ACRAM satellites that monitor the sun in their comparisons, virtually all of the warming found in the UN panel report can be attributed to the sun. Man's emissions contributed almost nothing. The scientists said, quote, depending on which published studies and data you use, you can show that all the warming is caused by the sun. But the UN panel uses a different data set to come up with the opposite conclusion. The UN panel chose to completely omit the NASA satellite data, as well as other data that didn't fit their predetermined outcome of human-driven global warming. Dishonest science is junk science. What's more, there is growing data that our climate actually has been cooling since around the turn of the century. Temperatures fell steadily from the 40s to the 70s. There was even talk of a possible ice age. The Earth is said to have those about every 10,000 years, and we are due. But then global temperatures rose until the late 90s, and then all we heard about was man-made global warming. This is where a lot of manipulation happened, as satellite-measured global atmospheric temperatures show less warming during this period than the heavily manipulated land surface temperatures. We are currently in a period of low sunspot activity. And guess what? From February 2016 to February 2018, NASA temperature data showed that global average temperatures actually dropped by 0.56 degrees Celsius. That is the biggest two-year drop in the past century. Of course, the media completely buried the story. There was no reporting on it whatsoever in the mainstream media, and just one small article, uh, at least that I could find, in Investor's Business Daily. But there's more. In 2001, Michael Mann of ClimateGate fame and others created the infamous hockey stick temperature graph. It was based mostly on tree growth, ring, uh, tree ring growth data from the Yamal Peninsula in Siberia. The UN climate panel seized on this and fueled the claim that human fossil fuel burning greenhouse gas emissions drove otherwise stable temperatures through the roof over a short period of time. Leftists everywhere pounced and demanded climate change legislation worldwide. One problem. Actually, more than one problem. Two Canadians, McIntyre and McKittrick, found statistical methodological errors with man's equations. They found that even feeding random numbers into his equations would produce that very same scary hockey stick shape. The medieval warm period and the Little Ice Age also just don't appear on Michael Mann's graph. As for those tree rings, it turns out that the data came from only 12 out of 252 specimens in the data set. There was also a larger set of 34 trees from the same vicinity that didn't show dramatic recent warming, ah, but you know, that set of trees just wasn't used. And then there's the issue with the tree ring data itself. Global temperature is important, but it's only one variable when it comes to tree growth rates. A man named Keith Briffa from the East Anglia University Climate Research Unit did his own tree ring data calculations and found steady temperature decline instead. He even recalculated his numbers after pressure from man and others. And guess what? He found an even greater decline. Remember the climate gate emails? Well, they recorded all of this. The director of the East Anglia University Climate Research Unit, Dr. Philip Jones, sent an email to Michael Mann and others about the temperature decline. He wrote, quote, I've just completed Mike Mann's nature journal trick of adding in the real temps to each series for the last 20 years to hide the decline, close quote. They took Griffith's data, cut it off, and obscured it. This even made it into a press release from the Republican side of the U.S. Senate Committee on the Environment in 2009. The left had to hide the temperature decline. Man's graph used tree ring, ice core, and growing season reports for data up until 1961, but then he switched to using ground station surface data temp, temp data. Why he switched is a mystery. Of course, the climate leftist at Penn State, Man's employer, stood up a committee to investigate the climate email revelations and essentially absolved Man and the others of any wrongdoing or scientific malfeasance. Leftist climate activists flooded the world with talk of how Man and others were the victims. 
how they were just describing statistical methods. There was nothing to see there. The left protects its own, and even when a man named Eugene Wall, one of Mann's colleagues, testified to a federal inspector that he complied with requests from Jones and Mann to delete climate emails that were being sought under the UK's version of FOIA, the left is scared to death of data showing temperature decline. But that doesn't change the fact that it is happening. Funny how all you hear now is climate change. Whatever happened to calling it global warming? So the radical left is manipulating data and using it to create a false scientific consensus about man-made climate change. They conveniently ignore massive natural forces and cycles that have been changing our climate since the beginning of time and suppress any evidence showing those forces to be responsible for anything. Their politicians and activists run around the globe predicting death and doom for all unless we submit to their unreasonable climate policies. And they refuse to acknowledge God and his wisdom when it comes to creation or functioning of the earth that he built for humanity. All of this is done to indoctrinate as many as possible into the leftist cult of climate change, opening the door for the rest of their evil leftist agenda. Climate change is the left's great Trojan horse. The fear, anxiety, and guilt it creates in those who open their doors grows and festers, and soon they find themselves supporting all sorts of other leftist causes as well. This is why 100% of leftists support climate change. It is a limiting factor, a necessary condition for spreading the disease. But we can stop it. We can change the narrative. Should we be good stewards of the earth? Yes. We should find ways to recycle. We should scrub pollutants from smokestacks and keep massive amounts of plastics out of the oceans. But we already do those things. The U.S. has some of the most stringent pollution regulations on the planet. Compared to China, Russia, India, and Southeast Asia, we are angelic when it comes to preserving the environment. This needs to be pointed out and stressed as nauseum. We need to push back hard on this notion that our environment is some fragile system ready to collapse at any moment. There is no code red. There is no clear and present danger or existential threat to our environment or to humanity. Rather, our climate is hardy and adaptive, surviving the test of time and the rigors of forces far more destructive than mankind. Using things we pull from the ground to power our society and heat our homes is not some sort of evil. Rather, it is using resources as intended to improve and further humanity. The use of so-called renewable resources, it's commendable. It's technological improvement, but it must happen as all other progress has happened, naturally. Renewable resources must be must be uh, forced simply must not be forced simply to push a political narrative which demonizes fossil fuels unnecessarily. The technology just isn't ready yet. And the use of renewable resources must be limited to when doing so makes sense. We can't run a power grid entirely off of wind that doesn't always blow, or sun that is often blocked by clouds, or in places like here in Minnesota, by snow on the solar panels. Finally, we need to trust in God. We have very little control over the planet and the environment, and it is arrogant to think that we do. We need to trust that what God made for us will survive as he intended. There is just as much belief involved in less worship of so-called climate science as in any religion. We must use what we do know to make reasonable policy decisions concerning the environment. And what we know is that massive forces have been changing our climate since its creation. Climate change induced by human greenhouse gas emissions is simply a myth created to scare people into supporting leftist policy. It is a hoax being, pu being pushed by radical leftists who want to tear down Western civilization and build up a socialist dystopia in its place. So it's time we call out Biden and all the other climate change alarmists for spreading their manipulative lies. As put by a piece in the New Yorker of all places, it is easy to forget just how variable the climate of the earth has been across the geologic timescale. This is partly because the extent of the variability is so difficult to imagine. And now it's time for Behind the Headlines. So if you like the content that we're providing, please go ahead and drop a comment on the comment section, like the video, subscribe to the channel. Doing each one of those things helps us immensely. It helps us grow the show and multiply its impact. So now for Behind the Headlines. First up, 
After President Biden made his surprise visit to Ukraine yesterday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis criticized the Biden administration, saying that giving a blank check to Ukraine with no clear objective is unacceptable. That's correct. Things, these things can escalate, said DeSantis, and I don't think it's in our interest to get into a proxy war with China, getting involved over things like the borderlands or over Crimea. Now, President Trump has, of course, also been critical of President Biden's blank check approach to Ukraine. Now, let's be clear about a few things, first of all. First, every clear-minded person agrees that Vladimir Putin is a gangster, a thug, and a war criminal. Putin is on record saying that he wants to reabsorb all the territory that he believes Russia lost after the fall of the Soviet Union, and that includes Ukraine as well as the Baltic countries and much more beside that. And we should never lose sight of the fact that Putin did invade Ukraine without any justification and that Russian armies are committing terrible war crimes in that country. But at the same time, it is entirely proper to ask to what extent we should continue to pay for Ukraine's war, particularly when continued support in the form of money and arms could at some point be interpreted by Russia as a direct act of war by the United States itself. The stakes are even higher now in light of reports that China has said it is already supporting Russia with non-lethal aid and is also considering lethal aid as well, although no one's quite sure what exactly China means by lethal and non-lethal aid, and you know, to the extent that non-lethal aid consists of fuel for trucks and other supplies for you know, various things that, that aren't bullets and, and, and missiles and such. Well, resources are generally sort of fungible, so if, if uh, Russia doesn't have to pay money to pay for fuel because it gets it from China, well, that would mean that uh, you know, they can spend more money purchasing bullets and other kinds of arms and the lethal uh, things that China doesn't want to give them. But it might be true actually already that China is providing lethal aid. Now, like DeSantis said, it would not be in America's best interest to get involved in a proxy war with China over Crimea or over the, you know, the eastern portions of Ukraine where large populations of Russia, Russians reside. That's a very shrewd point. We need to show strength against China and we must ensure that there are sufficient consequences for Russia's invasion uh, to dissuade them from any thought of further territorial conquests beyond Ukraine. But Crimea and the borderlands might be necessary bargaining chips during peace negotiations. And that's the real problem with Biden's give Zelensky whatever he wants forever open-ended policy. There is no end game, and there is no attempt to bring the war to a conclusion. Yes, we need to support Ukraine but we need to do it in a way that makes sense in terms of America's interests. And support for Ukraine should be aimed at getting Putin to the bargaining table where we can conclude this terrible war in a way that contains Putin and also demonstrates American strength and resilience to communist China. That's because China is the greater threat. Now, globalism is coming undone, and that's a very good thing. The evil governments in the world, however, they are banding together. We face an axis consisting of China, Russia, and Iran. But all those countries, of the, all those countries, we need to focus the most on communist China. They're the biggest threat. So let's make sure that America is the strongest, in the strongest possible position to deter the outbreak of World War III. To do that, we need to build up our military, demonstrate that we are ready and able to take on any threat from the CCP, whether it involves Taiwan or conflict anywhere else in the world. And we need to be sure that overcommitting resources to Ukraine or getting dragged into an unnecessary conflict there does not limit our ability to defend against a more direct challenge from China elsewhere in the world. All right. Second up today, Don Lemon will be returning to CNN after agreeing to undergo formal training, something that the network is requiring in light of Don Lemon making comments perceived as sexist towards Nikki Haley. Now, Lemon has apologized for the comments after receiving significant backlash. In case you didn't hear Don Lemon's comments, he made them while talking about Nikki Haley's plan that would require mental competency tests for politicians above 75 years old. Basically, Don Lemon said that Nikki Haley is not in her prime. Then, to back up his claim, he recited what he uncovered by doing a Google search about when women are in their prime. So that's some fantastic research, Don. He said that based on his extremely exhaustive research, 
A woman is considered in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe in her 40s, but not after that. Wow. Now, Don Lemon isn't the brightest bulb in the pack, that's for sure. It seems like he was trying to come up with a takedown of Dickie Haley on the fly and, and take down of her plan, and he wasn't able to come up with anything smart. And so he resorted to a Google search and some ridiculous sexist comments. The comments were unbelievably stupid, and he was rightly ridiculed for making them. Now he has to go through some sort of formal training and continue a learning process of some sort. But, you know, this kind of sensitivity training is perhaps the most absurd modern invention in the workplace. Lemon, you see, has nothing to learn. Did he make these comments because he was has a deeply rooted animus for women? Almost certainly not. You know, if you watch the clip, it's obvious he's fumbling to make some kind of counter-argument to Haley. What possible training does he need other than to be told that he was stupid and dumb? That's, that's what it is. He, he was just being stupid, right? You can't train people out of being stupid. Often, sensitivity trainings are a waste of time. Usually the people teaching these kinds of trainings are not teaching really anything. They're just trying to push a left-leaning agenda. That's what often is the case. But just consider this. What would have, have happened if a conservative news commenter had, had, had made comments like Lemon did? I'm sure Don Lemon would join the mob in that case and calling for the resignation. Massive sensitivity training and some kind of crazy legislative response as well. Who knows? And that's the real problem here. The media's double standard. Don Lemon gets a slap on the wrist for being an incredible idiot. But for anyone on the right side of the aisle, similar misconduct would end their career. We cannot tolerate those kinds of double standards. Third and finally today, James O'Keefe is apparently out at Project Veritas. If you've been keeping up with the news, Veritas broke a huge story on Pfizer employees where an employee is caught on camera admitting that the drug company has been manipulating the COVID virus in the laboratory in the hopes of bettering uh, the vaccines, developing better vaccines. Shortly after this story, O'Keefe was put on a leave of absence, or so we think. The board at Project Veritas first claimed that O'Keefe was taking a voluntary vacation, but they have since said that he was placed on suspension. Anyways, in his remark to, remarks to employees, O'Keefe said that he was fired and removed as CEO by the board. And then there are also, uh, there's a video of his remarks after that video was published. The board released a statement saying that they hadn't terminated O'Keefe and that they wanted him to continue working for the organization. Uh, so there are a lot of conflicting reports out there. Different narratives are being pushed and we don't really have all the facts, but here's what we do know. James O'Keefe is Project Veritas. He has spent his career exposing corrupt leftists and fighting for our conservative values. He has been in the fight for a long time, and he has seen great success. And we know how O'Keefe fights. We know very little about the Project Veritas board. Maybe they're conservative warriors to a person, or maybe they're not. We just don't know. Personally, I will follow O'Keefe to whatever he does next, whether it's at Project Veritas or elsewhere. That's, that's who I'll be supporting. I'll reserve judgment for you know more information as it comes out, but the kind of work that was being done at Project Veritas must continue. And I'm pretty sure that James O'Keefe is the only person who can really make that happen. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, if you like the content that we are providing, please go ahead and like the video, subscribe to the channel. Doing those things helps us immensely. And be sure to tune in next time for Founding Principles with Doug Wardlow.